Good morning. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good. Good. It's really good to be here. Worship is great. I really enjoyed that and excited to get to it uh, this morning as we continue our series that we started last week called The Jesus Way. And uh, before we dive into that, I want to do something that we do this time of year, every year. So if this is your first time uh, here, you're going to get a little uh, peek behind the curtain at at a church life here, but um, every year I give a little brief kind of state of the church address, and, and uh, this year is no different. So I just want to show you uh, kind of a few numbers in terms of like where God has, how God has blessed and where we are this year over last year and that sort of thing, and, and it's, been a, it's been a great year. 2017, church-wise, was a great year. News-wise, politically-wise, bit of a mess, but, but church-wise, it's been a good year for us, and so maybe that's why it's a good church year for us. Everybody's like, ah, get me out of here. So anyway, but look at this, uh, this uh, next slide. So uh, 2017, uh, in terms of attendance, we are up 11% uh, over the previous year, and in terms of giving, up 15%. And so I just want to say, one, thank you so much for inviting your friends and family to come to church and, and your coworkers and, and neighbors and things like that, and so that's just great. It's good to see uh, our church continue to grow. And in terms, some of you I know, uh, just based on th- that number, some of you had decided this year to be uh, a regular uh, contributor to the work of Jesus Christ through Living Hope Church. And I just want to again say thank you for your faithfulness. And for those of you who are longtime givers, thank you for your continued faithfulness. You know, we have, it's kind of the, the a lot of times when we talk about money in church, it, it's a, it a, is kind of perceived as kind of the seedy side of church or whatever. And it really shouldn't be that way. Uh, we give, as human beings, we have a, a heart to give to things that we are passionate about. And if you're passionate about your faith and you're passionate about the work that your church is doing, in this community and, and with our arms reaching around the world as well, then it's a no-brainer to want to give to that. And so, uh, so thanks so much for, for that faithfulness and that. That's a great thing. Um, and then the number I'm most excited about is 37 baptisms last year. 37 baptisms. That's such an exciting number. 30, that's the most that we've ever had in a year for baptisms. And, and get that, uh, you know, our regular kind of average attendance for the year was what? Somewhere around 270, I think the number said. So, and, and 37 baptisms, like over 10% of our congregation got baptized this year, uh, which is amazing. I was looking back through the list of, of people who were baptized this last year, and I saw one or two entire families who were baptized this year. That, that's, that's, an, that, that's amazing. That's like a... That's a legacy changer for that family. That's, that's, a, that's an incredible, incredible thing. And so anyway, I'm really proud of, of, of the work that you guys are doing and uh, continue to do and sharing your faith and just kind of being the love of Christ to our community. And, and it's, it's a really great thing. If you're new to Living Hope, like if this is one of your first times here with us, stick around for a little while and get to know us because I think what you'll find is a community of believers here that we're not just excited about getting together once a week and patting each other on the back and you know whatever feeling good about ourselves but we have a heart to see the heart of this community change in in some pretty dramatic ways and we're willing to to reach into places that a lot of other people aren't willing to reach into to see that happen uh, the work of Christ is not all flowers and rose-colored glasses the work of Christ oftentimes is is very messy when you get into the lives of people who are, um, who are far from God and who are just struggling to get through life for whatever reason. For, it could be for any reason. It could be just because of their level of income or you know, 
choices that they've made that have led them to the situations that they're in now, whatever the case may be, when you reach into the lives of hurting people, uh, it gets messy. And I love that I, I get to lead a congregation here that isn't afraid to roll up its sleeves and get a little messy. Uh, that we, we're not a church that looks at the messiness of other people's lives and, and, and goes, you know, <laughs> can't do that, you know, whatever. Why? Because look around you, we're all messy. We're, I, I mean, that's what I love about our church is that we all come from pretty, you know, most of us anyway come from pretty jacked up backgrounds and, and, uh, and we've all made questionable, I was kind of counseling with somebody uh, this week about uh, just an issue that they were going through and and as I was talking to him, I was like, I know what God's word says on this issue. And then I also know what I've personally done in regards to this issue. And if I'm honest with myself, it didn't match up with God's word all the time. And so I have to kind of counsel from a place of, we need to submit to God's word, but I completely understand what you're going through and why you're choosing what you're choosing. And, and, and so how do we make sense of that? And that's, why, that's the spirit I love that's in our church, where it's like, Yes, we lift the God and his word high, and we also know that we're a bunch of jacked-up humans trying to reach that impossible goal, and so we're not gonna, we know we're not going to be too rough on each other. And, and so it's, it's just, you guys are a beautiful congregation. It's an honor to be your pastor, and uh, I just say keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and, and so in terms of like looking ahead for 2018, the thing that, you know, there's a reason I've decided that we're just going to kind of focus on the stories of Christ for this year. It's because I think it's important for us as people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ to really know and understand the individual that we're claiming to follow. And so I just want to kind of sit in those stories for an extended period of time and, and let that kind of wash over you. You know, you ever meet somebody new and maybe they got some sort of, uh, you know, personality trait that is unfamiliar to you or different to you and, you know, they just kind of behave differently, whatever. And so like the first time you get around them, you maybe learn the hard way that, you know, they've got this little diff thing that's different than you. You say something and maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's perceived as weird or offensive to them. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess, you know, that they don't, they don't go by that, you know, whatever. So, so then the next time, you know, maybe you make the same mistake again. And then, and then the next time it's like you kind of learn. And it's like, okay, I like this person. I really enjoy spending time with this person, this friend I have. Uh, but they don't appreciate this thing, you know, whatever it is, you know, that, that you've been doing or saying. And so I'm going to start avoiding that. Why? And so it's like the more you get to know a, a person, the more you understand what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what, what, what gets them fired up, what breaks their heart, what, you know, that sort of thing. The more you time you spend with that person, the more you get to know that person. And, and it's the same thing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Like the more time you spend getting to know this man that we, that, that we call Jesus, the more, the, the more uh, like the easier it will be for you to identify with the things that break his heart, that make him laugh, that make him cry, that, that, that are, he's passionate about. Like, I, don't you want to be, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't you want to be passionate about the same things that Jesus was passionate about in your life? Like, I want that. And, and if, there's, if there are things in my life that are totally contrary, like if I was sitting in the same room face-to-face -face with Jesus, 
Like, I would want to know if there were things that might fly out of my mouth that would be like, Jesus would be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. Right? <laughs> right? Like, I would want to know, like, are there things about the way I think and the way I do life that would just be contrary to this, this man who gave his life for me? And so the, the way we do that is we dive into the Word and we, we, we kind of figure out who Jesus is that way. We spend time with Him and we spend time in prayer and, and, and the, his, his Holy Spirit kind of works in our, in our hearts and through our just kind of guiding our thoughts and things like that. And, and we begin to get a, a feel for who this man is. And one of the things, you know, last week we talked about you can't miss the fact, you know, when you're reading the Bible, you can't miss the fact that Jesus is God. Even though some will try to tell us that that's not necessarily the case. That, you know, some, some like we talked about last week, that some will say the Bible never claims that Jesus is God, and that's just out and out not true. I mean, there's passage after passage where Jesus himself says, you know, he equates himself with God, and that's what got him crucified. He didn't get crucified because he was feeding thousands of people. He didn't get crucified because he was healing sick people. He got crucified because this guy that was walking around in flesh among them suddenly started to suggest that he himself was God equal to God, and they lost their minds over that. Like, this guy's got to die, right? So Jesus is God, but there's this other aspect of Jesus that, that I think the church has missed for so long. Or, or, or at least completely ignored for so long that I think if you miss or ignore this aspect of who Jesus was, you are missing out on just about everything of what it means to follow him. And it's just it's this one simple thing that Jesus was a disciple maker. Jesus made disciples. And so I want to take a look at what does it mean for us who say we follow Jesus Christ to follow the one who was the master disciple maker. What does that look like for us? So what I want to do first is, is go to passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus calls his first disciples. It's a really interesting passage, uh, and I'll tell you why it's interesting to me in just a second, because as a kid, I, I, it conjured up images in my head that, well, maybe it didn't conjure these up in your head, but it's just the way my mind works. So <coughs> Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 18. It says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Talking about Jesus. Jesus saw two brothers. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. I love that name. Like, why don't we name our kids Zebedee anymore? Like, such a great, not a lot of Z names out there, actually. But anyway, that's a good one. So uh, John's brother, Zebedee, uh, their father, was in the boat with him, mending their nets. And he called them, Jesus called them, and it says, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, as a kid, when I would hear about this story in Sunday school or, or the few times, my dad was my pastor, so the once or twice in my lifetime that I actually listened to what he was saying when he was preaching... Um, you know, when I was, when, when I would hear this story, like the thing that, like, this was an odd story to me because I got this image in my head based on the reading of that passage that, that Jesus just saw these guys out in this boat 
fishing, and he was like, hey, come follow me. And immediately they were like, you know, ding, something went off in their head, and they're like, they're, you know, Jesus. And they just, you know, just started <laughs> falling, you know, his brains, you know, whatever. And, 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 and they it just, it was just odd. Like immediately they, you know, he said, come follow me. And immediately they just followed him. Like, what is that all about? Well, that seems very weird to me. Uh, like he, he had to have, based on this passage of scripture, he had to have put them in some sort of trance or something to get them to just drop everything and be like, yes, absolutely. We will follow you. And what, well, what about your mom and dad? They'll be fine. We're leaving. You know, that, that's, that was very odd, a very odd story to me. And so it, it wasn't until later that I, I began to understand the culture of that day that this, this story began to make sense to me. So first of all, first of all, Jesus' disciples, his closest disciples, his 12, his 12 disciples, uh, the ones that he called, Jesus was not just going around saying, hey, everybody, I'm God. Would you like to follow me? And everybody like, of course, you're God. We would love to follow you. That's not what was happening. Jesus, at that point in that day, was looked at as, as both kind of a prophet, a, a mighty prophet that had been sent to Israel, and that he was also looked at as a teacher, a rabbi of that day. Okay, and so as a, in the custom of the of the great rabbis who would you know become these teachers that Israel would look to as as great teachers or philosophers of their day, what they would do is as they would kind of develop their their teachings, something that was uh, you know their their take on the old scriptures that somehow. Uh, made them stand apart from other rabbis, other teachers, and, and people would go, oh, I like the way this guy teaches. I would love to follow him. But, but the rabbis would look at all the young students uh, who had gone through the Jewish uh, schooling systems, uh, the, the young boys, and, and, and say, and, and he would pick out the best. And he'd go to a synagogue here, a synagogue there, and he'd see who the best students were, and, and he'd pick one. He'd say, I think you could be a follower of mine. Why don't you, why don't you be one of my students? And, and it was a high honor. If you, were, if you were selected as a young boy out of school, as an as a, as a, as a, as a, you know, adolescent, to say, by a rabbi, to say, follow me. I see something in you that I think, I think you could be like me. It was a high honor. And parents would generally go, yes, absolutely. You know, uh, take our child and, and, and teach him because you're such a great teacher, right? Here we have Jesus who was very quickly be, becoming considered the greatest prophet, the greatest rabbi possibly that Israel had seen in hundreds and hundreds of years. You have, was it Peter, uh, Andrew, uh, James, and John who are of a working age. They've gone to work for their father. The rabbis have come through and collected all the very best, and they weren't one of them. They're fishing, not fishing for fun, not like casting the Zebco, right? Like they are fishing uh, commercially. That's their line of work. And here comes the greatest rabbi, the greatest prophet in centuries, and looks at them and says, you guys come follow me. And suddenly the ones who had been looked over, the ones who weren't good enough to be picked by any other decent rabbi, are being picked by the very best rabbi the nation had ever seen. And of course they're like, 
uh, yeah, we will, we will absolutely follow you. We'll absolutely follow you. Do, do me a favor, just as I, I promise, other than asking you to stand, I will not embarrass you further, okay? If you're between the ages of 17 and 24, would you stand up real quickly? Just real quickly. Between the ages of 17 and 24, there's a few. Okay, okay, look at, look, just look at these faces real fast. There you go. Look at these faces real fast. This, these are our 12 disciples. Go ahead, have a seat, have a seat. The, that age group, that's the disciples. That Because the movies get it always, always all wrong. In every single movie, the disciples are like middle-aged men, and Jesus is the young guy, right? And it was not that way. Jesus was choosing students, as, a, as, a, as any decent rabbi would, who were young. And, and just think, that age group, that's where this revolution that started with a, a few dozen people and ended up now at what, four billion Christians worldwide, it started with them. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Every revolution ever in the world is always started by the youth. It's always, I mean, look back at every revolution. It is driven by the youth of that country. It makes complete sense. But Jesus targets these young people and says, I know you've already been passed over, but I want you to follow me. I see something there. I see something there. To me, as a, as a, and I, I would hope that this would rub off on you as well, that there's nothing more exciting to me in my work than to look in the face of, 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 of you guys and go, I, I, I think you can be a lot more than what you think you can be. There's, I love that so much. I love it. And so here we have Jesus calling those first disciples. Now, one of the things we've talked about, and I'm going to put up a graphic here in just a second that you've seen dozens of times if you've been here very long, um, but one of the things we talk about is how do we find what it means to be a disciple? For, for the last several decades, uh, if you were to go into any church and mention the word disciple or discipleship, it usually meant some sort of class that you take after you become a Christian. Oh yeah, we have discipleship classes, you know, we'll teach you how to read the Bible and how, what, what to believe about the Bible, and we'll teach, you know, it was like these, just these classes, and then I guess you would take three or four or five classes, and then once you were done with your classes, hey, I guess you're a disciple now, right? And so discipleship was all about a class. And one of the things that I love that our church is beginning to do is we're, 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 we're trying to turn that paradigm on its head and go, that's, how is discipleship a class? How is it, how is it? How does taking some class make you a follower of Jesus Christ? That makes no sense at all. So we want to look at what was Jesus' model for making disciples because he's Jesus, and so he probably knew what he was doing. And so let's do what he was doing, okay? And so just from this passage, go ahead and put that graphic up. That verse 19 in that passage there that we just read says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That was his call. By the way, don't miss the fact that when Jesus calls his first disciples... He doesn't say, follow me, and I'll help you get your life cleaned up. Follow me, and I'll make sure there's more money in your bank account. Follow me, and your wife will start loving you, and your kids will start praising your name. Follow me, and, you know, whatever, I'll help you kick that sin habit. That's not, what, that's not the call he sent out. His call, and, and, and the problem is, that's the call most of you were given. But that's not the call Jesus gives. The call Jesus gives is follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to get other people to follow too. 
That's a different call than we've been taught for most of us. Follow me and not I'm going to work out all the issues of your life, but follow me and I'm going to help you show you how to make other followers as well. This idea of recruiting worshipers of Jesus Christ, it's built into who we are as Christ followers. It's the calling that is on every single one of our lives. And we have had this kind of mentality of, well, there are some people who are gifted at that. We call it evangelism. There are some people who are gifted at evangelism and some people aren't. And I'm just going to leave that for the ones that are gifted. The problem is the Bible doesn't let you get away with that. The Bible doesn't let you get away. It's a calling that's on the life of every single Christ follower to make disciples, to make disciples. And so that verse, follow me, this is how we define a disciple. What is a disciple? This is how we define it. It's right there in that one little sentence. Follow me. So a disciple is someone who's, who's following Jesus. Someone who's trying to get to know everything they can about this man and live their life similarly to the way he lived. I'm following in his footsteps, right? Follow me and I will, I will make you. In other words, there's going to be some change happening. A disciple of Christ not only follows him, but they're being changed by him. They give permission to the Holy Spirit in their lives to go, I'm going to work out the rough edges of your life, and I need you to submit to me and submit to God's word and allow this process to happen. So I'm, being, I'm following Jesus. I'm being changed by Jesus. And then he says, and I'll make you fishers of men. He's given them a mission. He's, he's he told them what he's going to do with their life, given them a sense of purpose in their lives. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So I'm following Jesus. I'm being changed by Jesus. I'm living on mission for Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. I'm following him. I'm being changed by him. I'm living on mission for him. And that mission is to share the good news of Jesus with the world and bring other people into this family of, of Christ followers. That's the mission. That's the mission. Like, I won't ask you to raise your hands. But just kind of do the work mentally in your head real fast. Like, for those of you who call yourself Christians, who call yourselves Christ followers, could you, if I was asking you to, and I'm not, could you lift your hand up and say, yeah, I'm making disciples. I'm, I'm living out Christ's mission in my life. My guess is that the majority of us in this room probably couldn't lift our hands. Why? Because you've been sold this bill of goods that this faith is all about you. It's all about your personal relationship with Jesus. And I dare you to find me the passage of Scripture that tells you about your personal relationship with Jesus, because it ain't there. I'm not saying you can't have one. You can and will have one. And the closer you get to Christ, the more time you spend with him and in prayer and in following and all that kind of stuff, you're going to develop a relationship with Jesus of something that is very personal. But his, Jesus didn't die to give you a personal relationship with him. He died to set this world right and solve the problem of sin that was plaguing this world and unite us, the entire planet, under one family, the family of God. That's the purpose he died for, not so that you personally could feel good about yourself. That's, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. We're not doing self-help religion. That's not, it's something bigger than that. Like, I, get that in your head, please, please, please get that in your head, that there is something bigger in this world than you. 
Like, that may sound harsh, but to me, that sounds like good news. That sounds like good, like, I don't want to just do self-help religion. Why? Because when I was a youth pastor, I did 15 years of youth ministry before I was pastor here at Living Hope. And, um, and it was, and, you know, there's still a lot of this going on, but it was, it was really going on back then as well. And, and it was this kind of idea that we have to teach the youth of our world that, you know, that, they, that they are, there's intrinsic value in themselves, that they are valuable all, you know, just in themselves and, and, and you know, and, and, and build up their self-esteem and all this. The problem I had with that is not that I didn't want kids feeling good about themselves. The problem I had with that is that the gospel I follow says something very different. The, the Bible teaches us that actually the valuable thing about you is Christ in you. Not just about you. Yeah, you're valuable enough and loved enough by God that God died for you as just as he died for... But, he, but he, again, he died for everybody in the world, so don't feel too special, right? I mean, he, he died for all of us. And, and, and I, I read the scripture that says, uh, if, I, if, I, if I lower myself, then God will lift me up. Like, not lift me up and make me feel great, but rather... If I, if I follow a path of humility and submission, then God will be the God of my promotions. God will be the God of my, my victories. God will, be, God will work all that out. And it's this weird kind of backwards, upside-down world thinking of, I don't have to grab at every opportunity, even though, there, I mean, there's nothing wrong if you're that kind of, you know, driven that way. We're all built differently. That, that's fine. But rather, if I... That, that leadership doesn't look like somebody being a jerk and bossing people around, but leadership looks like serving other people. And it's through that that, we, that somehow God takes us setting ourselves aside. Paul said it this way. He'd say, I die daily. I die to myself every single day. I, every morning I get up and I crucify myself. Now that was a, that was, we, we hear crucifixion and we just think, ah, oh, religion. In Paul's day, it was execution. It was, it was the gallows. It was the firing squad. It was the lethal injection. It was the electric chair. And Paul is saying every single day, I execute myself. I die to myself. And I take up the mantle of Jesus. And that's a different world than, than I mean, that's a kind of a different life view than the world teaches most of us. And it's difficult for some of us to hear. Some of you have come out of great difficulties and great problems, and, and you're proud of the fact that you have been able to kind of lift yourself up out of those issues and be independent and stand on your own, and, and, and we're proud of you for that too. That's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But if we're not careful, we, that kind of individualistic, self-made person becomes our religion, becomes our God, versus the God that's described in Scripture. There's something we have to be thoughtful about and careful about. So now that we know what a disciple is, I want to, I want to point out a couple of verses um, to you. John 17, uh, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's spending some time praying beforehand. He's getting ready to be arrested. And, uh, and so we get these, this insight into the prayer, what was on Jesus' mind through these prayers, these long prayers that are listed there in those chapters around, you know, 
16, 17, 18, and so forth. Um, Jesus spends a good amount of time just praying and talking, and we get to kind of an eyewitness on that. And he says this. He says, Father, the hour has come. Talking about the hour, you know, he's getting ready to be arrested. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, look at this part. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So this is God, come down from heaven, puts on human flesh, becomes a man, lives the perfect life so that he can die the, be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, right? And he's, he's getting ready, he knows he's getting ready to go back, shed that human flesh and be in his glorified, godly state again. But he says this curious phrase where he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me, gave me to do. Most of us, when we think about what was the work of Jesus when he was here on earth, the first thing that pops in our mind is generally uh, the crucifixion, dying for the sins of the world. That was his life's work, right? But this is here before Jesus is crucified, and he's already, his mind is in the place that I've already accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So what was that work that he accomplished? He made his disciples. He started the movement that would become the kingdom of God. He created followers who would then go out and create more and more followers and build up this until hopefully someday this world begins to look like the kingdom of God. He made disciples. That was Jesus' work. Jesus, after the crucifixion, and he's resurrected from the, from, the, from the grave, he's appeared several times to different followers and different groups of people, and he's getting ready to ascend back to the, to the Father until he comes again someday. And his last words to that group of disciples is this in Matthew 28. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. By the way, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... And doubts ever process through your, your brain. Know that you're in good company. These guys, the 11 at this point, Judas had killed himself, but the 11 disciples at this point, maybe a few other followers that were gathered there with them, had seen him teach, do miracles, feed thousands from a lunchable, um, um, you know, all, heal people of all kinds of diseases, walk on the water, calm the storm, arrested, beaten, tried, found guilty of a crime that was made up, executed on a cross, died, dead. Three days later, rose himself up out of the grave, appeared to them in glorified, resurrected, shining face form. And then... Some were still doubting. Like, has anybody else ever had that thought cross your mind? Like, ah, like faith would be so much easier if I had just been there to see Jesus. Evidently not. Like, doubt is just hardwired into who we are. It's just who we are as humans. Like, like some of us feel like I've got to see it. And then, there, and then there's some of us who take, <coughs> sorry, take it a step further, and you're like, Thomas, one of the disciples, it wasn't good enough for him to see it. It's like, I got to touch it. 
Like, uh, you could be a figment of my imagination. I need to touch the, the scar, you know, whatever. And so some belief is a difficult thing for a lot of people. Faith is a difficult And here you've got these guys. He's ascending to heaven. And some are going, I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? But it makes me feel great because can I tell you the truth as your pastor? In fact, it just happened just not even a week ago. I'm driving around, and I had one of those, I don't know, moments. My mind's just running, and I had this, like, these feelings of doubt. Doubt is part of faith. Faith is not some sort of one-time decision that you're like, oh, I'm feeling powerful. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling knowledgeable and powerful, and I can believe this, and you make that decision, and boom, you're done for the rest of your life. I think we have to exercise faith on a pretty regular basis. Doubt creeps in. It just creeps in. And the thing that I use, this is totally for free and I'm going long here, but, but the thing that I use to combat that kind of doubt is what we like to hear, hear at Living Hope, we call them stones of remembrances. In other words, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, there would be God would interact with people and they would build up an altar. You know, he would do something great, some sort of mighty thing. And they, were, they would stop wherever they were. They could be wandering through the wilderness. They could be, you know, who, who knows where. And they would stop, and they would, they would pile a bunch of rocks on top of each other, and they would just, to remind them and all future generations who would pass that pile of rocks that God did something great here. And so I've got stones of remembrances all throughout my house and my office, just little things, little, little mementos, something, you know, something in, seemingly meaningless to other people, but that have great meaning to me. It could be a little toy. It could be a little knickknack or a letter or, or all kinds of different things that, that are just reminders to me of how faithful God has been in my life and the amazing things that he has done. So when those moments of doubt creep in, I'm, I'm very rarely too far away from a stones of remembrance that I can look at and go, God is faithful. God is good. He's proven himself to me before. He'll prove himself to me again. It's just a powerful tool that I use. So, Jesus' accomplished work was making those disciples. Jesus then tells, did I read this passage yet? Did I read it? I didn't read it. Okay, okay. I should do that. So, um, and that, so yeah, I stopped at doubting. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is fully aware of who he is and what his purpose was and what his and who he is now in terms of he I mean he knows he's God. He knows that all authority in the universe has been placed in his hands. And he does this beautiful little graduation moment for the disciples. Given the fact that I have all authority in my hands. What does he do? He doesn't do this, keeping it all for myself. He does this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me, Jesus Christ. And what am I going to do with that authority? I'm going to share it. I'm going to give that same authority to you. So now you go and do what I did. Go make disciples. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, there's going to be rough days. But guess what? There's good news. I'll be with you always 
I'll be with you always. So, moving forward, well, let me give you a little background here. Okay, well, first, let me give you the statement. Okay, so the, the big point of the day is this, that your calling, if you're a Christ follower, your calling is to carry on Jesus' life work. In Living Hope Church, we have to become a disciple-making church. If that's God's calling on all of us as Christ followers, we have to become a disciple-making church. Now, the reason that's so significant, and I mean, for some of you, maybe you're, you're again, you're new to church, and you're like, well, why aren't you guys already doing that? You know, and, and, and here's the truth. Uh, pretty much no. And pretty much no other church is either. Why? Because we've, we've all fell for this kind of model of church growth and church life that just says, hey, draw as big a crowd as you can, and everything else will work out for itself, and all the, all the focus is on the Sunday morning experience or whatever, and, and that's what churches do all over the, all over, at least all over the nation and most parts of the world. It's just draw them in for an experience, send them out, they'll figure it out themselves. But that's not the way we were called to do church. We're called to make disciples, all of us. And disciple making, and, and, and we have to, again, I, I define discipleship in the beginning because because it's so important, because we've misdefined it. For years, discipleship has been take someone who has decided to follow Jesus, send them through a class, help them kind of grow and know a little bit more, send them on their way. But discipleship, did you get this? Jesus was calling his disciples disciples before they were believers. Before they were believers. Discipleship starts when a person is in a state of unbelief and you disciple them into a place of belief and you continue to disciple them into maturity in their faith. It's, 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 it's not just wait until they believe, wait until they believe, now let's disciple them. No, you disciple them into belief and you disciple them into maturity. The problem is, is that in church life, the reason churches do such a miserable job of this is that generally the spiritual leaders of the church, the pastors, the elders, the whoever else. Um, I mean, there's only so many people we can disciple. And as the crowd gets bigger and bigger, more and more people get left behind. I, I'm, I'm, like Jesus only took on 12 intently, and out of those, three very intently. And so, like, if Jesus can only take on 12, then, I don't know, I'm good for a couple maybe, Right? Right, I'm, I'm, I'm good for a few. And so we have to figure out a way, like how do we disciple well in, in a church like this? How do we do that? And so let me tell you how we're going to disciple and how what discipleship looks like at our church. How do we become a church of disciples making disciples? How do we become a church of disciples who are making disciples? So the first, the first thing is this. Get in a growth group. Get in a growth group. Moving forward, all you know, uh, uh, Natalie mentioned earlier that we've taken a break this last fall uh, from all of our groups so that we could train, retrain our leaders, and, and all that's been done. We've laid, laid a good groundwork for that, it's, and, and I appreciate everybody who's been involved in that. And this month, we're launching new groups that aren't just simply about getting together and reading the Bible. Maybe. Or just getting together and playing dominoes, or getting together and you know whatever. There's none of that. None of that's wrong or bad or anything else. 
We want to transition our groups from being about groups to being about disciple-making. In other words, who here has ever felt like, sometimes I struggle in my faith and I wish somebody would disciple me? Anybody ever felt that? Yeah, lots of us, most of us. The rest of you that have your hands down, you felt it too. You're just don't, you're too lazy to put your hand up. There's all of us that generally have felt like it would be really helpful in my life because I'm struggling. I don't know, maybe you're struggling with prayer. You're struggling with certain attributes of what it looks like to be a Christian. You're struggling with belief or with knowledge about the Bible or you're struggling, you know, whatever it is you're kind of working, wrestling through. And sometimes we think, oh, man, I wish I could, I wish there was somebody who could, who's a little further down the road than I am who could help me get, you know, further down the road too. And the primary method of disciple making in this church from this point forward is groups. If, if you come to me or you go to Phil or, or any other leader around here and, and, and you say, man, I could really use somebody to disciple me. The first question we're going to ask you is, are you in a group? Are you in a group? Because that's where it happens. It doesn't mean that we won't spend time with you or whatever. It just means that that's the primary mechanism for making sure that we are moving. And discipling is all about maturity, to moving somebody from being a babe in Christ to being a, a fully mature follower of Jesus Christ. And that's going to happen in the context of groups. And as you dive into these groups, you're going to see and hear explained exactly how this is going to happen. But it happens in groups. Get in a group. Do you want to grow in your faith? Get in a group. Are you tired of only knowing the people you, you go to church with by looking at the back of their head every Sunday morning? Get in a group. Do you want to feel more connected to a body of believers so you can feel more supported in your faith? Get in a group. Do you wish that you had more friends who were Christians who could kind of encourage you on in your faith? Get in a group. It's all about groups. And this is not groups. This is one I want you to hear me. This is how much time? I don't have any time. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a couple minutes longer than I intended. Okay, stay with me. I used to hate groups. Hated them. Hated them. I could not get excited about them. Not now some of you I've been in a group with. You're like you hated me. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I just couldn't get excited about groups. It just felt like one more thing to schedule in my life. I, I just, and then as, as a leader of the church, I was like, I felt like I was constantly trying to manufacture energy to, to get groups going, even though I was not that passionate about groups. And it just, it drove me crazy. And, and, and a couple of years ago, Phil and I went to a, a, a disciple-making conference. And I was excited. I had read the book that this guy wrote that was put on the conference. Loved this book. And it was all about making disciples and, and, and you know, becoming a disciple-making church. And so as we go to this conference, I'm super excited about it. There was a book they wanted us to read beforehand. I read the book, and I, and I would angrily like, put the book down because it was all about groups. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm just paid for a conference to go listen about groups. I'm tired. I want to be done with groups. There's got to be some other better method of, of disciple making. Anyway, long story short, I go to the, uh, they, they actually do our conference in groups. It was small groups uh, at this conference, right? And I get to this conference and, and we start sharing with one another. And I basically, in, in so many words, said, I hate everything you guys do. I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm tired of trying to manufacture energy around groups. I just don't see it, and I'm disappointed being here. And I was like a real downer in our group, right? I was such a downer, and everybody's looking at me like, oh, man, this is going to be an interesting group. And so, but before the end of that two-day conference, I was sold because they gave me a purpose behind groups that I'd never seen before. Before, groups to me was like, 
You're just kind of supposed to be in a group, check that off the spiritual list of things to do. And instead, it transformed into this beautiful, beautiful way to, to like interact with people in their lives and disciple them towards maturity. We're not meeting just for the sake of meeting. We're meeting because we're all trying to get closer to Jesus. Now, for some of you, are like, wasn't that always? Maybe it was for you, but for me, it was just something I was checking off my list. And suddenly there was purpose behind it. And I am so excited for the first time in my life about groups as a model for us being able to make disciples amongst all of our congregation and invite new people in and disciple them into belief and the whole thing. I'm so excited about that. And I want, I want, I, I, once you get into this, I believe you're going to be excited about it too. But get in a group. The second thing I need you to do is this. If we're going to be a church of disciples making disciples, keep maturing in your faith. Get realistic. I don't have time to go into all the details of how we define different levels of maturity, but basically the, the, the nuts and bolts of it is this. You transition from a person who is solely focused on yourself to a person who is focused almost entirely on God and others. That's maturity. That's maturity. Everything is about me. My whole church experience is about me. I'm following God for what he can do for me to following God for the sake of God for his glory, and to build up others around me. That's maturity. Keep maturing in your faith, and we'll guide you through that process and define that more clearly with you as well. And the third thing is this. Commit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, commit to discipling one to three people this year. Now, you're like, that's scary. I don't know if I can do that. I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can do it. You don't have to know all the answers. You know what you have to know? You have to know what Jesus did for you. Everybody here knows that. What did Jesus do for me? Well, I was here, and then Jesus came into my life, and now I'm over here. If you can share that simple story, you can help somebody else grow in their faith. Commit to, to, to meeting with people that maybe are far from God or, or, or getting a closer relationship with somebody in the group that you're a part of or whatever and, and encourage each other along the way, but commit to discipling others, helping other people grow closer to Christ. If you're a brand-new Christian, in need of discipling yourself, you can also be discipling someone else. It's one of the beautiful things about the kingdom of God. We're not looking for experts. We're not looking for people who can give a master class on Christianity. God, through his Holy Spirit in our lives, can use every single one of us. So just commit this year. It's a brand new year. You're thinking about things to do this year. Go ahead and commit. I, I, want, I want to feel like I've discipled at least one person this year. Two people, three people, whatever the case may be. Just, I, I want to feel like I'm, I've helped people move. And not just like accidentally we're sitting here, we kind of accidentally came up a conversation, but intentionally. You go up to somebody and say, hey, would you like to get there for coffee once every week, once every couple of weeks, maybe once a month? Let's just, let's just get in the Word together. Let's talk about life. You know, it looks like you're interested in the faith and you've got a lot of questions. Let's sit down and see if, see if I can help you through some of those questions, whatever the case may be. But be intentional about it. It can be in the context of a group. It can be in the context of a coffee meeting, whatever. But, but just do it. Discipling. One, we are going to become a disciple-making church. We can grow. We put those numbers up earlier. We can grow in numbers. We can grow in money. We can grow in baptisms. But unless we're growing in the number of disciples that we're making, we're still missing the mark that Jesus gave us as a mission for our lives. We have to become a disciple-making church. Get in a group. Now, here's, here's the thing. Go to livinghopedixon.com. 
That's our website, notlivinghopechurch.com. That's going to take you to some church in Canada. Don't do it. Living Hope Dixon. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure they're a fine church. I'm not saying anything about them. But go to our website is what I'm saying. Livinghopedixon.com and hit the groups tab. There's a tab for groups. Uh, go there and you'll find a whole directory of our groups. You can get signed up. Uh, I believe uh, next week maybe or the week after we're going to have actual kiosks in here where you can sign up here in the room. But uh, if you're ready to get signed up now, go ahead and get signed up online. Livinghopedixon.com. Go to the groups tab. Look at the directory. Get signed up. We have groups different, different nights of the week, all that kind of thing. Okay? Now, <clears throat> that's it. I'm out of time. Let's, let's just let's, uh, wrap this up. Would you guys just, just go home today prayerful about and, and, and try to get realistic with yourself about, am I a disciple-making follower of Christ? And if the answer to that is yes, then keep doing what you're doing. And if the answer to that is no, then commit this year to learning how to become that. And, uh, and we'll help you through that process. But get in a group, okay? Let's pray this prayer with me that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, we love you so much and we thank you for giving us a model for how to continue to grow your kingdom even after you had uh, uh, gone back to be uh, with the Father. And so, God, help us to live up to that calling. Help us to take that calling seriously. Help us to be that disciple-making church. I thank you so much for the people in this church that are already stepping up to that challenge and looking for ways to disciple others into into faith and into maturity. And I I pray that you would just continue to bless uh, the, the work that they're doing, the relationships that they're building. And God, for those of us in the room that are maybe apprehensive about that, it doesn't feel like something that maybe we could do. God, I pray that you would show us that it's not something uh, to be nervous about, that it can happen in the very natural rhythms of our life if we just live intentionally for you. And so give us courage where there is none and uh, uh, put away fears where they need to be put away. Uh, We love you. We commit ourselves to you one more time. And uh, we ask that you would just lead us and guide us in the way that you would want us to go pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.